We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 this evening. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says this very famous passage of Scripture. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'll read it again. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so if you've lived any amount of time on the earth, which we all have, you would have recognized that one of the strategies of the enemy is fear. It's up there with offense, and condemnation in its effectiveness. And I always make a joke, you might have heard me say before, when hell has its you know, employee of the year, offense always wins, right? But the spirit of fear comes in a close second. And so there's this constant, really like a bombardment of fear from the enemy. So we know that the enemy, you know that whole thing about the Lance Walner teaching the seven mountains and so forth, the enemy has control over the mountain of media. And so he will use media to just constantly be a channel for a spirit of fear to come upon the world and to come upon the believer. COVID was like a really good example. So remember when COVID was happening, like those first couple of months, like every, like Open News 24, every single article and like, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And there was a countdown clock, you remember that? Or not a countdown clock, but a clock that was counting how many people have died from COVID in South Africa. How many people are in hospital? How many people are in oxygen? You know, and it just like was this constant bombardment of fear coming to us, coming upon this nation. You know, and so people were just gripped by this thing. They were gripped by this COVID thing. And now we look back and we're like, Really? Was that all it was? But in the moment, the enemy is so strategic, you know. And so it's not only with, with, with COVID, it's like you just read the news or you just open, walk into, I mean, you stand in a line anywhere. Like you stand in the line at Home Affairs, stand in the line at Spa, guaranteed someone behind you or in front of you is going to start speaking about negativity. They're going to start speaking about how we're not going to have enough money, how we're not going to be able to afford bread, how we're not going to do this. So there's this constant, what is that? <laughs> it's at the road. There's this constant bombardment of fear that the enemy seeks to bring upon us as a people and upon this world. And so why the spirit of fear is so dangerous is first of this is that the spirit of fear seeks to cripple us. It's like a debilitating disease that comes upon a person. And the more it sits on them, the more and more crippled they become. And eventually what happens if they don't deal with that fear, that fear, that spirit of fear even becomes a master over them. And it begins to dictate their decisions. It dictates where they go. It dictates what they do. It dictates who they speak to. I mean, even today, people are still wearing masks. That's not normal. That's not right. That's a spirit of fear. COVID is like, yesterday, it's not even on the news anymore. You know, it's like non-existent, but every day I go out, 
I'll see at least one person wearing a mask. Why? That's the fear has so gripped their lives that it's actually dictating to them a decision that they need to wear a mask where actually it's not even necessary. When the government itself, the governments of the world themselves have said, you don't have to wear a mask anymore, but fear is telling them you have to wear a mask. Another good example is what, when after those, remember we had those heavy floods, right? The KZN floods. I remember probably like the next two times it was going to rain, people just started freaking out. You're like, oh my God, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. And like people didn't go to work, you know, they just like, I remember we, like we had an internet issue with something and so we had these guys, we had to call them to come do, like fix it, do the internet fix. It's like, we can't come, it's going to rain. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, and it's like, it rained. Like, and I was like, okay, surely you could have rode in the drizzle. But people were so gripped with fear because of what they saw, because of what they experienced. And so fear dictated their decisions to them. Another one, we all know that guy got shot on Florida Road. And so a couple of weeks later, they had that Florida Road festival, whatever. My mom was telling me, they posted it on Facebook. You can see the comments on Facebook. Don't go to Florida Road. You're going to get murdered. You're going to get killed. Like gangs are taking over. People are so gripped with fear because of what happened. And so, like, so people are like, I'm never going to Florida Road again. Meanwhile, it's like a once in every like five-year thing that someone actually got shot in the road. And it, well, that's where it was a hit. It wasn't like just random criminality going on in our road. The next thing that spirit of fear does is spirit of fear seeks to torment us. It creates illusions in our mind that are contrary to truth. They run through our minds over and over, and we build up these things that aren't even real. So let's take COVID, for example. In the middle of COVID, you get a sore throat. You're like, oh, my God, maybe I've got COVID. You know, and then first thing you do, Google, symptoms of COVID, you know, like, I'm short of breath, oh my God, I think I've got short of breath, you know, and it's like we've got all these illusions, like, what if I go to hospital, what about my family, then what are they going to do, how am I going to pay for my child's education, you know, and we like, we runs and spins through our mind, and meanwhile, you just got an allergic reaction because like, like the neighbor opened their window and the flowers came into your house or something, you know, it's, <laughs> but what fear does, it takes something that isn't there, and it makes us illusion about it, and we panic. I mean, like, how many people I've spoken to, it's like, my stomach's sore, and they're like, Dr. Google, guaranteed, you've got cancer. My foot is sore, you've got cancer. You know, my arm is sore, you've got cancer. You know, it's the worst thing that you can do. The spirit of, like I said, the spirit of fear just seeks to come upon us. Like, first thing, it, it cripples us, and the second thing is that it torments us. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has, in another translation, says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. In other words, a spirit of fear is not from God. It's a, if you, if you can imagine like this, it's a garment, it's a cloak that the enemy seeks to put on us. I read the article, he presents this cloak to me, he says, Lord, why don't you try this on? And in that moment, I have a choice whether I'm going to accept the spirit of fear upon me or whether I'm going to reject that. 
And us as believers, we have been so informed, you know, like I was thinking about it in worship, how many times does the Bible say, do not fear, you know, for everything, from the old to the new, it says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And so we've been informed enough to know that we should make a decision that isn't contrary to what the devil is offering. And so when the spirit of fear comes, when he comes to present this cloak to me, I can make a decision that I don't have to receive it. I don't have to, you know, I'm not a victim. None of us say when we have Christ in us, you know, we are the head. We are not the tail. We are above always and never beneath. We don't have to just sit there and allow the enemy to put things on us, to put shame, to put condemnation, to put fear. We can stand up and say, hey, I don't want that. And he will say, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, sir, sorry. You know? And he will back off. That's just who he is. The second thing is this, is that if fear was put on us, through Christ, it can be taken off of us. And so I don't know where you are tonight. God's obviously bringing this message for a reason. I was going to talk about something else. And he said, talk about this. So maybe you are struggling with fear. Maybe it's not a big thing. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a certain aspect. Maybe there's a scenario or a circumstance happening in your life right now. And fear has come upon you. But God wants to take it off because it's not your portion. It's not your inheritance. He's already given us a robe. We don't need another one. God's given us a robe of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's boldness. It's confidence before the Lord. And so in the Bible, we see this amazing law called divine exchange, where he takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our burdens and he gives us rest. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, it says he, he takes the garment, he takes away our mourning, and it says, and instead, he gives us a garment of praise. And the same principle applies here. We see he has given not a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control, or of a sound mind, and another translation says. He doesn't just cover fear. God doesn't just say, oh, I can see fear on you. Here's some power. Let me put it on top. Here's some love. Let me just cover your fear. That's not what it does. He casts it away. He drives it away. He displaces it. There's a divine exchange that can take place. That word in Isaiah 61, where it talks about instead, it means to take away the previous and replace with the new. So when God gives me power, which he has, when he gives me love, which he has, when he gives me sound mind, which he has, it pushes away fear. It casts away fear. And so we're going to look at those three things, power, love, and a sound mind. And we're going to see what God has already done for us as the believer. And so the, the, the amazing thing about truth is that if you don't know it, you don't walk in it. But once truth is revealed, it empowers you to overcome. And I really feel that's what God is doing tonight. He's empowering us that we don't have to be victim to fear. The next time fear comes... I know, well, uh, he's given me power. He's given me love. I remember what that guy said somewhere in Florida Road somewhere. He's given me a sound mind, and it empowers us to walk a life of victory. So let's look at power. First thing is this, is 
the enemy has created an illusion that he is winning, that he's all powerful. You could be going through a circumstance and it's just you're not seeing the victory, you're not seeing the change. Or we look at our country, we just say, oh, the economy just keeps going down and down and down. And we see the works of the enemy. We say, who can stop this guy? But that's not truth. And we know that very well in this church. Revelation 19 verse 6 says, God is the omnipotent one. In other words, God is the all-powerful one. But what, what's so key in this moment is that when fear comes, how do I view the circumstance? When the circum, like a bad circumstance comes, let's say a diagnosis of cancer, a diagnosis of some kind of disease, what lens do I look at that circumstance through? What lens do I look at the economy of our nation through? Because there's two lenses that we can look at. The first one is the lie from the enemy. The second one is the truth of what God says. Have you guys heard of the word propaganda? You ever did history in school? The Nazi propaganda. Propaganda means this. It's information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote a political cause or point of view. I'll read again. It's information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote a political cause or point of view. And so the enemy is the master of propaganda. And so he will use propaganda to distort our lens, to distort the way we look at things. And so a circumstance comes my way, and I can look at it through the lens of propaganda. I can look at it through the lens of the lie that the enemy has given me. Or I can look at it through the lens that God offers, the lens that is truth. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 to 23. And I've never actually seen the scripture in this context. But it says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Then it says this, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What that actually means, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the soul of man. Our thoughts, our, our, our processes, our mind, our will, emotions. And that word enlightened means to shine the light brighter so that I can see clearly. And so God says, Paul's praying, and he says, I pray that you would be able to see better have the right lens to see the world clearly through what God offers, through the light of the gospel. And then he goes on and he says this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and listen to this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul's saying, see clearly and know that he is all-powerful all the time. And then he goes on to describe it and says, who, 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 in Christ who is seated far above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. And so we have this lens that Christ has offered us to see the world through, and that lens is that nothing is impossible with God. 
See, when we look through the lens of the enemy, we lose heart. We become disillusioned. But when we look through the lens of that, that Christ has offered us, when we look at a circumstance, it can be the same circumstance, and I choose how I look at it, and it will affect how I live the rest of my life. I, it can bring me into depression, or I can choose and say, my God works all things for my good. And I choose joy, and it changes the trajectory of the way that I'm going to walk in. So we see this, and there's a good example in Numbers chapter 13. We can go there, Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 to 33. Again, a scripture we know very well. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 to 33. So it says this, well, what's happened here, if you're not familiar with the story, is that Israel have crossed over the Jordan, and um, Joshua sends out these 12 spies. Before they conquer Jericho, Joshua sends out these 12 spies. No, it's Moses. That's Moses. Yo, this is like, oh, those are the two spies. Never mind. Wrong story. Anyway. <laughs> so while they're still in the wilderness with Moses, Moses sends out these 12 spies. He says, go into the land that God has promised us and see what it's like. Bring back some fruit from the land. They bring us some good stories. Bring us some good testimonies. So it says that now they come back and says, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. I want us to read Numbers 14, verse 6 to 9. That's one. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Same circumstance, two different lenses. The ten spies saw the circumstance through a lens of fear, through a lens of lie. And their reaction was, we're grasshoppers in their sight. The other two spies, Caleb and Joshua, had had their 
vision brightened. They had their vision enlightened, and they saw through the correct lens. They saw through the lens of God, through the lens of, with God, nothing is impossible. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. They saw through the lens that He is Almighty God. They saw through the lens that He is the God who, who Moses put his staff over the waters and the waters parted. He's the God who, 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 who plagued Egypt and set his people free. That was the lens, or you could say their worldview, of which they saw the circumstance. And what did they say? Psh, these guys are bread, man. We're just going to chow them, spit them out. Look, have you ever seen those guys? You ever seen those PSL soccer matches? They're like, <laughs> if you guys watch it. <laughs> okay, let's hear so you know, it. They're like zooming on the, on the crowd, and this guy's like eating a watermelon. He's like, oh. <laughs> or eating bread, anyway. Watch a PSL game, the Premier Soccer League, that's the South African one, and just, they'll do it. They'll show you someone, he's eating something. It's like, I don't know. It's like they're doing it against the enemies. But anyway, that's the context of what these guys are saying. It's like, we just, you know, they're nothing before us. They're just like bread. Why? Because they're looking through the correct view. And so, the thing is this, that when I look through the lens that God is all-powerful, I'm not denying the circumstance. Caleb and Joshua didn't say they aren't giants. They didn't say that they're not powerful. They just knew the truth, that no matter the circumstance, nothing is impossible with God. And so when I look through the lens that the devil is all-powerful, fear comes on me. But when I look through the lens that God is all-powerful, hope arises in me. Definition of hope is, very, is this, is, it's an earnest expectation of good. That no matter what it looks like now, God will turn it to good. And so when I view circumstances, when I hear the news, when I engage in that conversation and fear comes my way, I choose to look at it as, as God turns all things to good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. No matter what the situation is, whether it's even death, God is good. And in that place, he brings forth goodness. I view that through his lens. And I see God turns all things to good for those who love him. I, I view the most dramatic situation, and I say, God is the God of the impossible. God is a God of all power. God is a God of all life. God is a God of miracles. And when I do that, when I make that choice to put on his glasses, I refuse the lens, I refuse the glasses of the enemy, and I put on God's glasses, and I look, the spirit of fear can have no place in me. Remember he said, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a salmon. The divine exchange happens in that moment. But it's on us to choose. Do I choose to look at this through the lens of the enemy, or do I choose to look at this through the lens of the Father? And when I choose the Father's way, the spirit of fear has no, it cannot attach itself to me. It cannot land on me. And so it backs off. 
And so I've won the battle. I've won the victory. Because God's equipped me for it. The next thing it says that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, is that he gives us love as another tool which, and I don't mean that derogatory, but which displaces, which drives away fear. So let's go there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. One John 4 verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'll read again. There is no fear in love. Where there is love, here we see it again, fear cannot land. It, it can't put that cloak on you. Because love is there. And then he says this, but perfect love casts out fear. Now when we, when we think of love, we, like, we think of like the, like the emotional butterflies, like the birds are singing, you know. Yeah, like that. You know, and it's like, it's soppy and it's beautiful and it's romantic. But it's interesting when you do a word study on this word cast and talks about cast out, it's actually a violent term. And it means that it means to throw down or to throw out with the use of force. It reminds me in John chapter 1, verse 5, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. That word overcome, that means to take down aggressively from a higher place to a lower place. And so the love of God comes upon us and we like, it feels great, it feels amazing, and it's just so peaceful and it's just so beautiful and we just like, I love you, Lord, I love you too. And we get up off the carpet, we get up off our chair and we're like, oh. This is wonderful. You know? But if we could see what's happening in the spirit realm, this is what's happening. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> WWE, man. That's what love is doing. It's violent. It sees fear, and it just goes haywire. It goes ballistic. Now he beats him into a pulp, then he takes him out the door and throws him out. It's like, don't come back. That's love. Not like, oh, sorry, Mr. Fear. But please, not this little sheepy. Not this little lamb. I love him dearly. Please go. It's no. Love is violent. I remember, if you guys have seen those um, Finger of God, Furious Love, Father of Light. One of my favorite parts is they in, the one, the Furious Love one, they're interviewing 
these, all these theologians. And they're talking about love. And so this one guy, I forget his name, but he has like a Dutch accent. And he says, this, you know, the Bible, when we, we talk about the, the weapons of our warfare, and he references Ephesians, like the, the shield of the, shield of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And then he says this, but probably one of the greatest weapons that we have is love. The enemy cannot stand in the face of love. It's like, no matter what, a person can be broken, 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 tormented by the enemy for years. The enemy's sought and brought destruction in their lives. And they just have one encounter with love. And like this, they're set free. Because love is violence. And so when fear comes your way, get into the love of God. Say, Father, here I am. Make me the object of your affection. Come and love on me. And now we know what's happening. We're like, oh. But in the meantime, it's like, ah. <laughs> Just mad stuff going on. And they walk away free, and now we know why. Because the spirit of fear is just caught a hiding. In verse, let's go back to 1 John 4, verse 18. The second part of this says, For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so intricately, intrinsically woven into the love of God is his goodness toward us. If we understand that he is always good towards us and that his goodness remains unchanged, we will understand that he is not out to get us, he's not out to punish us, but rather that he is out to benefit us. And so when I believe that God is good, you know, when I change that, I don't know where this, well, we do know where, but unfortunately a large part of the church has this understanding of God that he's this angry father in heaven with lightning bolts in his hands waiting to punish us. Waiting, you know, like, oh, you said the wrong thing. Bah! You know, and then something goes wrong, and we're like, oh, God's punishing me. But it's not. It's not who he is. He's a God of love. He's a, he's a God of goodness. And in his love, we can find the guarantee that he is always for us. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up us for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God loves you, will he surely not protect you? Will he surely not keep you from calamity? I'm looking at Ryan. Now just remember your story. That's the love of God. The love of God that keeps you. He's not against us. Who can be against us? God is for us. When I know that he loves me, I know that he's for me. He's not out to hurt me. He's not against me. He's for me. He's not trying to harm me. Through him I overcome, no matter what the things are, no matter what the circumstances are. Through his love, I am a conqueror because of his love. And this is our assurance that we have in his love. And it becomes a fortress against fear. And so when I know his love, when I truly grasp his love, fear has no place. Like zero. It, it, it cannot. You know, and it's reminded of Ephesians. In chapter 3, Paul, another prayer of Paul. It's for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, listen to this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When we know his love, we're secure. It's a strong, it's a firm foundation. And we cannot be moved. The best, well not the best. Hard to say something in the Bible is the best. Because <laughs> it's all the best. One of the best things you can do is pray this over your life. Pray that you become rooted and grounded in love. Pray that you know the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of his love. Because when you know, when a child knows that they are loved by their parents, and they are loved by their father. That child will grow up fruitful. That child will grow up secure. That child will grow up successful. But a child who is abandoned by their parents and doesn't know the love of a parent, that child grows up a drug addict. That child, and I'm saying this is outside of Christ because Christ can do anything. That, that child grows up an alcoholic, an abuser, just, you know, struggling with life because that foundation of love was never, 
secured in them. And so we as the children of God, we can walk this Christian walk, we can get born again and we can read about all these things and learn about all these things, but if we don't know His love, when we get a couple of years down the road, we're going to find, why am I acting like a delinquent? Why am I craving the things of the world? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Because the love of the Father was never established in our hearts. Seek to know His love. Number one, seek to know His love. Then seek to know the other things. As children of the God, of children of the God, as children of the Father, seek to know His heart for you. Because then, the enemy can't put anything on you. Strongest Christians are the Christians that know they are loved. And they have, without a shadow of doubt in their mind, about that fact. They know for a fact God's not punishing me, God's not condemning me, God's not shaming me. They know the love of God, and you see the fruit of that in their lives. So pursue that, because in fear cannot come, fear cannot rest on you. And then the last one, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has given us a sound mind. Some translations say self-control, some say sound mind. And when we look at those two words together, what it really means, it talks about our discipline over our thought life. And this is huge. Like I said in the beginning, the enemy is constantly bombarding our thoughts. He's constantly bombarding. Now Jesus said the, the, the window is the light. The window is the, the eyes are the window to the soul. Thank you. You know, so he's constantly bringing stuff into our ears, into our eyes, and we process those things through our mind. And so there's a, I think it was Joyce Meyer, I'm sure in the book, said the battlefield of the mind. And so the enemy is constantly, be, he talks about those arrows, right, in Ephesians chapter 6, he's, he's constantly throwing those fiery darts into our mind. And so we've got to, I think, a, a, well, not I think, but a sign of a mature Christian is one who is able to discern the thoughts of God and the thoughts of the enemy and to cast down the thoughts of the enemy. Because if you don't know, you'll just entertain anything. You think, oh, this is God. This is God. This is God. Meanwhile, it's just, it's lies of the enemy. It's deceptions of the enemy. It's fear of the enemy that is casting our way. And so Kenneth Hagin said, like, as you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your head. And so through every negative news report, statistic, conversation, circumstance, the spirit of fear is seeking to make a nest in our heads and over our minds. That's where the enemy casts his cloak. Like on your head. Can't see anything. But Philippians chapter 4 says this. And this is where we have to live. We just have to. His finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and then what? And the God of peace will be with you. So he says, set your mind 
on things above, somewhere else. Set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on those things which are pure. When you do that, peace will come. But when I set my mind on the fiery darts of the enemy, fear will come. And so like I said, we have to come to a place of maturity where we make a decision not to entertain accusations of fear. And you might have to do it every day. But the more you do it, the more you flex your muscle. And first you start out five times a day. Next week, a couple of months down the line, three times a day. Once a day. And eventually it's just every now and then. Because your mind is so trained to think on those things which are above. Your mind is so trained to discern what is good and what is evil. To discern the voice. You know, John chapter 10, Jesus said this, my voice, my, my voice, my sheep follow my voice, and the voice of another they will not follow. You have the ability to discern the voice of fear. And it's simply this, fear is not from God. So if there's a voice that's talking about a circumstance, talking about a situation, and it brings fear, it's not God. And so I've got to rise up in the authority that is given me, and I've got to cast down those thoughts. I cast down vain imaginations. I cast down high and lofty opinions. Everything that seeks to rise itself up against the knowledge of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I cast them down. I bring them into obedience, the Bible says. And so you have the authority. I have the authority. We have the authority to do that. And when we do it, fear can come. You can throw a dart of fear. But in the moment, if I choose to think on those things which are heavenly, I choose to think on those things which are lovely, I choose to think on His omnipotence, I choose to think on His goodness, that dart goes like a boop, blomp. It cannot land. Why? Because it displaces, it pushes out fear. Peace and fear cannot exist in the same realm. If my mind is filled with peace, fear cannot come there. And so I've got to constantly be on my guard against the enemy. Don't let your guard down. Don't, don't entertain fear for one second. Now you read the news article, you hear a conversation, whatever it is, you, you, you face a circumstance, don't, don't give him just a little toe in your door. Just close the door on his toe. In the moment. And the more I do that, the more he learns that his toes are going to get sore. So he's not going to put them there anymore. All right.